I love to tell the story. Will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Do you love to tell the story of the Bible? After all, that's exactly what it is. It is a story from front to back of God's amazing work in creating and redeeming a people. It starts and ends in a garden, both created by God for His people. Its main character is one sent by God Himself as a Messiah, a deliverer, a redeemer, sent to give life through giving His life. And the beauty of this story is that hearing it deep down in our hearts has the very power to change who we are, to change our passions, our desires, to relieve us of our fears, and to even change our personalities. So how do you feel about the story of the Bible? Do you love to tell the story? Will it be your theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love? We've been considering this summer a portion of that story. The story of the early followers of Jesus. We read or know from his first volume that this doctor named Luke highlights Jesus' faithful trip to his death in Jerusalem. And so now, this second volume, traditionally entitled Acts, tells the story of his early followers and their trip away from Jerusalem to tell his story. Or as Jesus calls them to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, both near and far. And so far in this book, we've seen them do just that, haven't we? First, as Jesus ascended into the heavens, they prayerfully waited for Him to send power from on high to equip them for the mission that they were called to. And that power came in the Holy Spirit. There we find God sending His very self to dwell inside of His chosen people to give them all they need to complete the mission that He Himself had called them to. And so far things have gone pretty much without a hiccup, wouldn't you say? And Peter stands up at Pentecost, filled with the Spirit, and he preaches the hard truth. And what kind of response does he get? Well, thousands repent of their sins and turn to Christ. They're gathering together, this, this small band of followers, now thousands, gather together, both in the public square and in their homes, learning together from the apostles, worshiping God in prayer, and breaking bread together in fellowship. Now last week, Pastor Sean walked us through Peter and John's healing of a man. And Peter speaks to the astonished crowd. And we find there that even more people believe and are brought into the kingdom of Jesus. I mean, by and large, this ministry that these apostles have had is, is successful, wouldn't you say? What more could you ask for? But we find that gold doesn't always glitter. No, gold doesn't always glitter. We are still in the early life of God's new covenant people. And for followers of one that was put on a fake trial, on trumped up charges, and later executed, what should 
their expectations be? What should our expectations be if we're going to claim to follow Jesus and then pursue Him as such? Or as one pastor has put it, Acts, the book of Acts, has no purpose, no plot, no structure, and no history without suffering. Without suffering. And to say it another way, the spreading of the Word as it is preached by the apostles and the establishment and building up of the local churches comes through much blood, sweat, and tears. And much rejoicing, as we'll come to see. So as we open our Bibles, let me ask you once more. Do you love to tell the story of Jesus and His love? And what if it would cost you something to tell it? If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Acts 4. Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible today or left yours at home, we do have the few Bibles there in front of you. Acts chapter 4 is found on page 857 if you want to get there quicker than everybody else. And as always, if you don't have a Bible of your own or you know a friend, a neighbor, a coworker who needs a Bible, we have free Bibles on the back table in the foyer along with some other resources for you. you make use of those today, please. Well, friends, we're going to be looking at the entirety of chapter 4 today in this sermon. Well, not the entirety, the first 31 verses. We'll look at the last little bit next week. But let me begin by reading to us uh, the first 12 verses of chapter 4. So let me invite you to stand uh, in honor of the reading of God's Word. And I'm just going to read the first 12 verses to get us going. To wet your whistle, if you will. Hear now the words of the living God to us today. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated, friends. Now, if you were here last week, uh, well, if you weren't, let me tell you what happened last week. If you were here, you'll remember this. I mentioned a moment ago, Pastor Sean walked us through uh, the first part of this account, which is found in chapter 3 of Acts, where Peter and John are on their way to the temple. As we saw in chapter 2, they had made their practice of doing. And as they are making their way there, there is a man who has been crippled from birth, And he asked them for some money to help make ends meet because he can't work for himself. And Peter and John say, well, we don't have any silver or gold. But what we do have, we give you. Be healed. 
stand in the name of Jesus Christ. And after doing so, Peter, as he always does, used the occasion then, the wonder and the amazement, the astonishment of the people who had known this man. We read in today's passage, over 40 years old. He had been there for a while. Peter uses the occasion to speak of that great physician, Jesus Christ. But now we see that the healed man and the crowd that gathered are not the only ones that are interested in the name of Jesus. But the religious leaders have shown up and they have a particular interest as well. And this morning we see three scenes really in this chapter. And we'll come to three things that emerge that are absolutely essential for Christians who love to tell the story of Jesus and His love. But who must do it with boldness and confidence in the face of dangers, toils, and snares? Three things, three scenes I want us to see today. First, the proclamation that divides. The proclamation that, that divides. You see this in verses 1 through 12. Second, we'll see the persecution that threatens. The persecution that threatens in verses 13 through 22. And finally, we'll see the prayer that unites in 23 through 31. So, I gave you three P's there. You should be able to remember those this afternoon at lunch. You're talking about this sermon and this text. The proclamation that divides, the persecution that threatens, and the prayer that unites. And each of them, the question it answers, and my prayer for us today is this. Have we been so captivated by the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ that we are willing to be captives in this world for His sake? Let me ask you that again. Have we been so captivated by the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ that we are willing to be captives in this world for His sake? Because it's my prayer that we would. Let's jump back in the text as we try to answer that. Consider first this proclamation that divides. And here in these opening verses, we find that the religious leaders could not tolerate the apostles' teaching about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. In fact, if you look back at verse 2, it says that the leaders there were greatly annoyed by the apostles. Luke goes to great lengths here to help us understand the heart disposition of the religious leaders. They were annoyed, meaning that, that the words they were proclaiming and the miracles that were accompanying them were beginning to wear on these leaders and really get under their skin. I mean, you think about this from the leader's perspective. Just weeks prior, they had gone out of their way to convince the Roman authorities to have Jesus crucified. Right? But now, affection for this Jesus that they had killed is growing. And people are talking about him, talking about him even more than before. And so they arrest Peter and John specifically. But because they're not into the late show with Caiaphas, the high priest, they decide to wait until the next day. You have to know what Peter and John were thinking and feeling that night from the jail cell. Jesus had warned them about this coming opposition, reminding them that they would be persecuted in the same way that he himself was, as John would later write down in his gospel in 15, 20, and 21. Surely that arrest and trial of Jesus was upon the apostles' minds. They could picture it in their mind's eye as they sat in jail that night. Would the results be similar? Would they, like their Lord, be unjustly condemned and crucified? Well, friends, not to skip ahead, but in just a few weeks, we're going to see those days are coming. Yet, 
Though the apostles were kept in a jail cell, the gospel could not be arrested. I love this in the text. That it says that they're arrested because it, they had to wait till the next day because it was evening. But verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men alone came to about 5,000. Not even thinking about the others who believed the women and children of the time. So we find that after spending the night in jail, the formal investigation began as they were brought before three groups of the Sanhedrin. You see them listed there in verse 5. The rulers, who were the priests. The elders, who were kind of the lay leaders from the tribes. And the scribes, who who acted kind of as, as the lawyers of the day. That's pretty much the the, the upper echelon of the culture, right? You have the religious leaders. You have the the kind of de facto uh, older men of the the, the peoples. And you have the lawyers. Further, you see that Luke goes to great lengths to actually list the names of the high priestly family for us there. Why? You see there, those four men that are listed. Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander... From history, we know that Annas was the patriarch of the family line of this high priestly family. He was the, 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 the grand poobah of the priestly family. He was the big guy. But most notably here is, is not Annas and, and not John and Alexander, but, but his son, Annas' son, who's listed here, Caiaphas. Now, now if, you're, if you've been reading your Bible, especially if you've been reading the Gospels, you know that this isn't the first time he's mentioned so we learn in Matthew 26, Caiaphas isn't new to this little game. In Matthew 26, 3, it says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. As Jesus divided the people between believers and revilers, we now find his witnesses are doing the same. So they asked the witnesses of Jesus one simple question, but a question that is essential for us to understand because it drives the entire narrative along. What is it? Look back at verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Meaning, who gave you the strength and who gave you the authority to heal this man? The leaders of Judaism are asking, who told you how to do this? And who gave you permission to it? Who gave you the power to do it? Standing before them, Peter courageously, clearly, and simply gives witness. He gives witness. He bears testimony, answering them in exactly the same way that first landed him in jail to begin with. What does he say? Look back at verse 8. Then Peter Filled with the Holy Spirit. Just a side note there. I don't think that that's a a new feeling that's happening. I think Luke is trying to reemphasize for us that Peter is not speaking in his own power, but he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He has not stopped being filled with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all. And here's the answer. How did we do it? To all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now step back here and consider for a moment 